Making that move from the city to the suburbs is a big leap, and it comes with fears and challenges. So today we're going to talk about those and how in the end, it's all worth it. You're listening to Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Designing a new home to be your family's sanctuary can feel impossible during the stress of moving. In this podcast, interior designer Jill Kalman shares practical advice, design wisdom, and lifestyle tips for anyone moving to a new home. You'll learn all about the psychology of a well-designed home and how to survive the move and thrive in your new life. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to a home you love to come back to every single time. Here's your host, Jill Kalman. Hi, so today we have on the podcast, Bethany Reed Peterson. Bethany's an interior designer. She's founder of Atelier Reed, and she's host of the Arrived podcast. The Arrived podcast is helping single gents of the world bring their A-game home. She wants them to be able to transform their sad crash pad to a rockin' bachelor pad. Bethany is also a coach to help you find your voice, and she has an amazing podcast strategy session to help you get a podcast launch and find your voice. She's with us today because she's somebody who lived in major cities for over a decade and then moved herself back to the suburbs. So she's going to talk to us today about that transition. Here we go. Hey, everybody. So today I'm here with Bethany Reed Peterson, and I'm so excited to have you here, Bethany. Thank you so much for having me, Jill. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're welcome. Bethany and I met because we're part of Toby Fairley's Design You business coaching program, and Toby is the business coach for both of us. And I have to say, I don't think I'd be sitting here behind this microphone talking to you without her. (laughs) Neither one of us would. (laughs) She has brought me here today. So uh, I appreciate that. So a little shout out to her for that. But as you know, I mean, you're somebody I've always admired in the group. Bethany actually has her own podcast called Arrived, which is amazing. And toward the end of the show, I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about who she serves and what she does because she's really amazing. I've always looked up to you, Bethany, and I think I I call you the podcast rock star, which you are. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so uh, we'll get into that a little later. But Bethany actually moved from London back to Minnesota, right? I did. Yes. To a small river town in Minnesota. So big, big, I'd say reverse culture shock because I am American. So yes, it was Big move. (laughs) Huge contrast, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So many things to chat about there, Jill. (laughs) Definitely. And were you in London, what, about 15 years? So I grew up in Minnesota, which is what brought us back here. My husband's British, but I grew up in Minnesota. And I was actually in New York and San Francisco and Melbourne, Australia. So collectively, and then with London as well, collectively, I was out of Minnesota for 15 years. Yeah, Um, in cities, in in major cities. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. All amazing cities too. So when it came time to make the change of, okay, it's time to pack up now and head back to suburbs and specifically Minnesota, did you have any big fears or challenges or did you feel like everything was more positive about it and there really weren't fears about it? So when we moved, it was in 2015. And at that point, I think, I mean, generally speaking, the recession was over for all intents and purposes. And London was booming 
once more. Property prices were incredibly expensive in London. And growing up in Minnesota and growing up as an American, it's not as common over in the UK and Europe to own. But where I grew up, certainly it was all about you have to own your property. And so oh, yeah. for us, it was about, well, you know, I'm getting into my mid-30s now. I, I want to get on the property ladder. And so from that aspect of a challenge, I think we were so ready, or certainly I was so ready. And I think I dragged my now husband along. He was my my boyfriend partner at the time. But I think I had just got to the point where, you know, I had grown up with 10 acres of land in the woods in Minnesota. And then of course, like we'd mentioned, I'd lived in big cities for the past 15 years after I finished high school. And it was just time. And so I think I didn't anticipate all of the challenges, the new challenges that were going to come along with moving to the suburbs. I was very burned out with city living. And as we had mentioned before we started recording, there's always that mindset of the grass is always greener. So while I, you know, generally speaking, love the lifestyle that we have now, I think that what I thought of in moving to the suburbs, I mean, Jill, I literally had a folder on my Chrome web browser called Manifest Destiny because for me, it was all about wanting to own a bit of land, wanting a new dream, like this American dream, very much like, you know, the original Manifest Destiny, right? Because I was just so cramped up living in London and felt claustrophobic. And so I think I placed this aspect of moving to, for us, it was like the countryside in terms of, well, this is going to solve all our problems which is a very dangerous thought. And while it's wonderful, like I've mentioned, there were some definite challenges that I didn't consider when we were frantically escaping New York, so to speak, and in our case, escaping London. So, so many things we can chat about yeah. with that. Were, were you, I mean, yeah, you had some burnout and whatnot. So were you, because you had come from the suburbs, were you sort of craving suburban life again, though, a bit? Because it is just a bit slower pace. There's more room. There's more space. Was that part of it appealing? Do you know, it's so funny because when we first got this bug in our head to move from London, it was actually at that point, because I had lived in both New York and in San Francisco, and because I'm from Minnesota, and I was at that point like, look, I'm not doing winters. Like, I'm not doing Midwest winters again. It's not going to happen, so I'm not doing Chicago. We actually thought what we would do is move to Seattle. So initially, we weren't even thinking about this grand gesture, so to speak, of moving to the suburbs for a much quieter life. We initially thought we were going to move to Seattle and then, or actually what I should say is just outside of Seattle, but we road tripped out to Seattle and we looked at each other and we said, you know what? We still love London so much. And if we're going to move out of what we believe is the best city in the world, at least for us, to another large city with all the like very same challenges that you have in big city living, then it better be a pretty damn amazing city. And so we decided actually that maybe it was time to think about something totally different. Yeah, it sounds like you want you there was definitely a change that you needed to occur for sure, right? Yes. I mean, you wanted to change. Obviously. Yes, we absolutely we wanted to change. I, I think we just didn't realize until we really got stuck in looking for houses and looking at different cities in America, how much change we actually really needed. And we were even looking uh, more in, I mean, where I live now is it's a very small community. I think it's maybe 10,000 people. But, you know, we were looking at houses more in like the quote unquote downtown area. And I remember my mom saying to me, you know, you move from London so that you can have this extra space and the houses that you guys are looking at are very sweet. And it's very much like little, it's very much like a little San Francisco in the downtown area. And she said, but look, you know, you guys are going to be 
very cooped up and that's why you left London. So why don't you go find a house with some space? And this is now where you know, we bought a, a schoolhouse. It w- was a one-room schoolhouse that was built in 1859. It's on an acre of land, and it was initially turned into a residence in 1955. And so, yeah, so it's, it's, an, it's got an amazing story to it. So that's how we wound up here. Uh, yeah, space very seems to be... Sorry, space seems to be the number one reason why the families I've worked with leave the city because some of them are expanding their families. Even people who don't have children still want more space. Now during COVID, what's happening is people really want space. It's really hard to go out in a in a city like New York that is so dense and even other cities like Seattle and LA and all that. It's just denser population. So it's hard to keep that social distancing, all kinds of things. And we've recently heard that there's a big surge for interest in swimming pools because people feel like if they're going to be home, they want a pool. So there are homes around here that are either calling the pool companies to install one or people looking for rentals or ownership with pools. But yeah, space seems to be a very big thing. People seem to outgrow and get sort of cramped and cooped up. And the thing about settling into a new house, and I, I discussed it on one of my previous podcasts, you and I are both versed in mindset through the thought model because of our business coach, Toby Fairley. And um, I think mindset, I've discovered really after working with so many people that the root of it, the, the clients who are successful that hire me and end up with a successful result, it's because they're ready and it's because their mindset's in the right place. Too often, many people just aren't quite there yet. And I was curious how you think mindset plays a role in getting yourself moved and getting settled into your new home and and really virtually a new life. Absolutely. Mindset, as you and I both know, as you've said, is huge. For me personally, I had a very rough go of it. And this was all self-imposed. I mean, mindset is self-imposed, right? So that's one thing that, you know, we need to talk about. Firstly, is that everything that you think is is up to you. And I don't think I really realized it until gosh, I mean three I mean we're talking 3 years here that we lived in the house or what I should say is lived in in Minnesota so like outside of what you know my my city dwelling identity was that so when I left Minnesota it was all about I think on a level like not only fleeing the winter but really just wanting to expand my horizons and, and I realized actually, actually actually after moving back here that for me I thought success professional success personal success was thriving in a big city yep. and suddenly I'm out here and not only did we have you know challenges from just like the reverse culture shock of moving back to America, moving to a smaller town, you know, obviously much smaller town versus uh, London, which is I think like oh my God, eight million people now. I love um, London, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so not only did we face those challenges, but it was also about suddenly now this is my life. What does that mean? And I personally had a ton of what I call past self comparison happening of, well, I used to live in London. I used to be much more cultured. I used to go to cocktail bars and get dressed up all the time and go to nice restaurants and go to the Tate. And I I self-identified as this very cultured person. And then what I did in reverse to that when we moved out here, when suddenly now my weekends are spent literally going to the Home Depot and wearing my paint (laughs) clothes and instead of thinking, well, I'm still all those things. I still have all those interests. And on top of that, instead of thinking the people that live here, maybe not literally in my little community so much, but just because I live in Minnesota does not mean that Minnesotans aren't cultured. I had that really negative mindset. 
That yes, really got me into trouble. Yes. It's really important you bring that up because that exists here very much. And particularly people who have been in the city a very long time or maybe even from there. There's evidently, even though they may want to move to the suburbs and a lot of the suburbs right outside of New York City are very cultured and offer a lot. It's not the same as New York City. And they it's almost like, I don't even know if the status is the right word, but they definitely feel like maybe they're doing a downgrade. Like, well, in New York, I have, like you said, the museums and I have this and now I'm going like to the sticks, you know? Right. And so I guess it's your perspective. I mean, I grew up in Maine. I did not grow up in the sticks of Maine. It was suburbia, but it, there's a lot to do here. The population here is much more dense as a suburb than the suburb I grew up in. And we had culture where I grew up in too. But I do think there is something that happens with a lot of people from a major city like New York, LA, Chicago, wherever, where they feel very much like what you said. And I think it's very important to tune into that and recognize that because, yeah, it's definitely something, whether we call it a hurdle or a mind block or whatever, but it, it is something that's very common yes. as a sentiment, you know? Absolutely. And it's like, oh, I'm, what am, it's kind of like, what am I giving up? Right. And maybe there's almost like a little bit of mourning for it initially. Oh, absolutely. Get, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I remember actually after I'd bought the house. And so because my husband, David, he couldn't actually come over. We were waiting for him to get his visa, his initial visa, so he could actually leave and come over here. And so I left first and this would have been like February, 2016 or something. And so I was actually supposed to be living in our house for a few weeks before he even arrived in the States. And I remember just staying at my mom's every night. Um, and finally she said, you have this new house that you just invested, you know, get out of here. Money. Like, <laughs> don't you want to spend time in it? And I just realized Jill, I was so terrified because sure. it was, I was so used to identifying with what you're saying too, is like, and what your, what your clients are probably doing too, is like you identify with that sense of culture that you had. And suddenly it's like your entire foundation, if you let it going back to mindset, if you choose to have that mindset to think, well, who am I now? What does this mean for me? And that's very dangerous. And it's very insidious because it can just grow and snowball. So, you know, I would say for any of your listeners who have moved out to the suburbs or are thinking about this, just know that that it's going to crop up, but it's okay. It doesn't take away from your cultural interests. It doesn't take away, I mean, especially for your listenership too, where they're, you know, potentially like an hour train ride from New York, right? So, I mean, I'm an hour train ride from more woods, right? I mean, it's like if I right, want to, you, right? You're not yeah. going to be getting back to London anytime soon, like, in, you know what I mean? You can't. Right. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, they do have that advantage here, which is nice because they might even still work there and commute there. They may go into when it reopens. They may go into see a Broadway show, go shopping, right. go to a restaurant. But even still, it does feel different to them not actually living in it. And I do think moving in general. Listen, it's one of the top three stressors, and no matter if we take city to suburbs out of it just for a second, no matter where you move from or to it's an adjustment. And we're all creatures of habit. And I think that's what really makes us maybe mourn what we had before. Even the home I moved from in Greenwich, Connecticut, it was tiny. It was the size of a studio apartment. We had our first baby there. But really good memories were there. And even though we needed to get out of there and it was time for this house, I remember the first couple of weeks feeling like a little bit of a loss for the kind of lifestyle I had there. And mm -hmm just how things were different there than here. So I think it's just part of our human nature because we are creatures of habit. Yes. And I think that's where this sort of longing stems from in part. 
But yeah, and the other part with mindset that I've noticed with my customers is, you know, they plan for the move, they plan for the house. So depending on what zip code they're looking for the house, they get an idea of what does that cost? What are the property taxes? How much are the preschools? Great. They kind of get it all in a row and they think we're going to just get this house and we move in. Great. And then they move in and it, I call it the bowling alley effect. It is like empty for ages. I mean, Mm -hmm. or partially furnished. And then that doesn't support them or their lifestyle at all. And I've realized that the reason that happens is they haven't planned for not just the property tax, the cost of the home, but having furniture in your home is part of having a home. (laughs) I mean, to me, if I'm going to have a big empty home, it's sort of like, well, I'd rather have a much smaller home that's finished. I mean, empty, vast spaces don't really support us. So when you moved, did you budget for anything outside of the home cost itself? We did. Of my total budget... I think the actual home cost before our remodeling works was 46% of the total budget. And then it was not supposed to be, but you know, these things happen. Our remodeling renovation budget wound up basically eating up, you know, the the rest of the, you know, 54% or whatever it was, right? So I mean, and we were supposed like I never thought in my wildest dreams, and I'm an interior designer, you know, like you are, I never thought that we were going to be in a position where we were literally still, so <laughs> I still had furniture. Like I literally had to furnish our home with the furniture that I had in my first apartment after I graduated from NYU, like uh, 2006, right? So a long time ago. And I had chairs from my father's dental office waiting room that were sitting in my living room. And it's like, we were so embarrassed to entertain. And I mean, I honestly don't think it's so funny because now we're finally at a point where we're actually wanting to have dinner parties. And of course, now everything is in lockdown. But I mean, for years, it was so embarrassing. And so that was one thing that I wish we had done. And and, and I would urge your listeners to think of as well as is to make sure that you are allocating a proper realistic budget for the furnishings. I mean, so if this is going to be like a forever home, allocate a realistic budget for your forever furnishings because you're so right. We think about all the moving costs and the taxes and we have the spreadsheet and we get into the space. And if it becomes this like cavernous bowling alley, like you say, yeah, really, what was the point of us moving at all in some respects? Because we're still kind of sort of in the, we're like at the half marathon mark, right? Where it's like, if you yeah. turn back, you still got a half marathon. If you go forward, you still got a half marathon, right? So you're in that spot where it's like, you just got to pick a direction and go with it. So I would absolutely, and it's something that I would say to my clients too, but for anyone who's listening here, yes, absolutely get realistic on thinking about your furnishings budget. Yeah. And it takes time too, and it can happen in small bites. Like I I try to tell my Mm -hmm. clients, you know, you can pick sort of like the three hot areas to begin with and have the money set aside and then don't forget the other areas, but have a plan in place. Like, okay, when this finishes by X and we set aside this money, as long as the plan is in place to move forward, I think that, you know, you can make it happen. Suddenly what happens is they've been there three years and like, oh God, everything's empty. We have to do everything at once. And then it is Mm -hmm. more expensive. So you're kind of setting yourself up for failure by not putting the plan in place too, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, did you also realize all that was involved in home ownership as far as like the lawn care and the roof and heating and overall maintenance? And that's money that has to be factored in every year as well. With regard to landscaping, I will say 
absolutely not. Actually, you know, like I said, we've, we've been here now, I think, for four and a half years. I haven't even brought myself <laughs> to get a quote from a landscaper because I know how incredibly, what an incredible investment a landscaper is. And I'm not saying it's not, it's absolutely worth it. I mean, hello, curb appeal, right? But no, it was something that because I had lived and I had rented in cities all my life. And so there really was no such thing as landscaping, at least as it pertains, you know, to my lifestyle. So no, I absolutely did not factor in. And then the other thing I would say is that when I looked, when we looked at this house that we live in now, it was in the fall. So, you know, the leaves on the trees were already starting to turn. It was very pretty. But, you know, I didn't know to look for things like there's creeping Charlie all over my lawn. There are mole right. and bowl problems in our yard. So it's like when or we walk on the grass. Had, <laughs> yes, right? Like yeah, we had I grubs in one year. I'm like, where's my lawn? And there's no lawn. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So no, I mean, I was totally clueless as to landscaping, like, you know, exterior maintenance, so to speak. One thing that I do think that we did do well, and I would always, you know, encourage others to think about as well is, you know, the look at the boiler room, right? Like, what are the mechanicals? Look at the roof, because you're so right, you do not want to be caught out having to get a new roof, because you didn't do your due diligence before you bought the house or that, you know, your boiler has suddenly broke down. And I mean, so if, if you're finding a space that has great bones and has up-to-date mechanicals, I mean, I think for us, we did do that. And we also got a bit lucky too. We were very fortunate in that. But I think at least for a first-time home buyer, as we were coming from the city, we just, there were so many things we just didn't consider. Yeah. So, and did you even, because I'm even thinking about putting a calendar together for my clients about a certain time of year is when you get the boiler tuned up, a certain time of year is when you do the AC, and it's usually the reverse of the season you're in because that's when the companies want to come do it. And even heating, I've had a lot of clients buy a big home and they didn't factor in what the heating bill was going to be every month. And I've had some friends and clients go to their house in the winter and it's like freezing. They're like, we can't turn the heat up. It's so expensive. And they didn't think of that. And again, no one wants to live like that. You're in your own home. You need to be comfortable. So I was just curious if you know those were factors too, because when you're living in a city, a lot of it's taken care of, or it's just factored in ahead, so you just know what to expect. Whereas with a house, you it's kind of like you don't always know what to expect, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean yeah. that. I mean you're so right. It's those hidden costs that we don't think of because you might own a beautiful, you know, listed apartment in New York, but all of the landscaping and the maintenance is factored into your association fees. So it's like you're not even thinking about it. Whereas you're right. It's like heating. I mean, it's, it's funny. My mom lives in like a 4,000 square foot home. And I think one time she told me what her heating bills were. And I was going, that is outrageous. So, I mean, it's like yeah. you have to factor in these things for sure. Yes. And, and then it's the time because there's no oversight of someone coordinating this. You're the one calling to get the lawn quote, to yes. get the roof quote, to negotiate the best price per gallon on the heat, to schedule the boiler cleaning. You know, so mm -hmm. there's a time factor involved too, where you have to take time out of your schedule and make those calls. Absolutely. So, or just your yeah. homeowner's insurance. Like we switched our insurance company this year. Yeah. Oh my God. I did. I, I mean, it was wonderful when we got it set up because when we bought the house, we just had an agent call us and say, look, we'll set it up for you. And we're like, great. And then this year we switched and it has been, I can't believe how much time it's taken up. So it, there's so many hidden costs in so far as you know money like we're saying but also in time i think that's such a great point is you have to factor awesome. in how much time it's going to take to yep. run your home yes because like i said making the calls is one thing and then you've got to be or someone's got to be home when this work is being done not necessarily the lawn but when the burner's clean someone has to let them in 
So whether you're home or you have to coordinate whether a babysitter or a housekeeper or someone's home, it's still a consideration or perhaps your time. So, And that's what I'm trying to do is really help educate because I, I have realized that these are some initial and ongoing challenges for my audience. And I want to be able to smooth that out and be able to juggle it. And then it just becomes kind of the norm and they're able to get in sort of a groove with it understand it and manage it so that it doesn't feel so cumbersome, overwhelming, or stressful. I want to kind of remove that out of it. And I th- I think not, you know, as they say, knowledge is power, right? So knowing all this ahead of time and planning for it, to me, I think that's the best solution. And I want to help them kind of map that out to do that. So I think, you know, I don't know if you would agree, but had you been able to be guided prior to this and say, oh, think about this, think about that, do you think that would have helped you? Absolutely. When it came to our guidance, it, I mean, it. we had, I think my, bless them, my, we had my aunt and my uncle who came to look at, it wasn't this house, but a, a house that I had put in an offer on. And we obviously that fell through because the house wasn't, you know, it needed so much more work than we were willing to put into it. But there was none of this guidance really. And, you know, I don't mean to disrespect real estate agents at all. I think they're, you know, generally speaking, they're very much working in your favor. But I do yeah. think there comes a point where you need to do your own due diligence not rely strictly any outside agents and really think about these things. And, you know, it's like, it's not to scare people whatsoever, but like you're saying, knowledge is power. If you know what to expect going in right down to the heating costs, it's going to be so much simpler. And I wish we had more guidance along the way. I wish there was either, you know, a course or something that, especially if someone who is moving from a city to the suburbs I wish we'd had that, even for just the mindset, right? Even if just someone was to say like, look, this is going to be a big culture shock, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but just here's what you need to know. Yeah. And actually, I have something coming out soon that's going to be like $27 or $29, and it's going to have a lot of this in there to help people. And it's going to be sort of this manual they can buy to help get themselves moved. And it outlines all this so they can consider And, you know, you can even, I think we did it on, there was one house we were looking at and you can ask the realtor, what is the average heating cost of this home? They have that information. Sometimes it's provided, sometimes not, but you can definitely ask, what is the gas? What is the electric? And factor it in because that's what you're going to spend a year to have that house, you know? So did, when you moved, did you enjoy having more space? Did it feel kind of liberating though? Because you do live in a beautiful part of the country. And it is really pretty there. I know you have some hard winters, but to just walk out and breathe some fresh air the way you do, did you like that? Absolutely. And it's so funny. I always joke that I love living in Minnesota from about the end of April. So right about now is at the time that we're recording this through October. But I have to say, I mean, it's so nice to be able to walk outside. I'm a bit of a hippie at heart. So like whenever the, when the ground is warm Mm -hmm. enough, I always go outside with my coffee and I'm not a morning person. So I go outside with my coffee and to wake myself up, I go and I walk on the grass in my bare feet and I do my grounding, which is what it's called. And I listen to the birds and I listen to the bullfrogs and the cicadas. And it's amazing. I mean, there's no other feeling like it. Yeah, and that's the plus of the suburbs is that type yes, of thing, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not, yeah, and you don't have to. I mean, you can live in in more of a traditional suburban neighborhood to get that as well. I mean, it's just like when I walked out of my flats in London or New York, it was like, I mean, I lived in Chinatown in New York and I lived in, you know, other areas of of London that weren't necessarily like the most 
posh. And it was just like, what you're greeted with the second you walk outside isn't always <laughs> what you want to be greeted with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good point. You never know what you're going to see in a city. That is right. true. Right. And so there is something as simple and as amazing. And you, I mean, I would say like you can't buy it. I mean, you can if you live in the suburbs, right? But it's like, it's so wonderful just having that back, having the fresh air. Yeah. And you can have peace and quiet. Having you know? pe- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We brought out our fire pit the other night for the season and we sat under the stars and we listened to the Rolling Stones and you know, just had a glass of wine and sat there and watched the fire and it was amazing. And it was just like, this is why we live here. So for all of the challenges and the the cautionary tales, there's an amazing reward that you have as well. And my clients feel that too. Once they adjust, they're like, oh my God, the parks here and the schools here and even Mm -hmm. the library here Mm -hmm. and all the things our community offers, certain events, the fairs, the all kinds of things. They are like, wow, you know? So there is an adjustment. You obviously went through yours and actually Bethany has a whole podcast about it. It's her episode number 14 and anyone moving from the city to the suburbs might want to hear it. But having said that, once you kind of went through this transformation, what would you say you like best about living in the suburbs now? I think what we really enjoy the most about living in the suburbs. And it's one of the reasons why we actually, I mean, we could have moved into Minneapolis. I mean, Minneapolis is an incredibly gorgeous, livable city. Um, That's, you know, nothing like it's nowhere near as crowded as say London or New York or San Francisco, right? Sure. But the reason that we actually decided to like really go for it and move into the woods is because we have this amazing sense of privacy. And we talked a little bit about having that sense of space, but there's also something that's really wonderful to be able to go outside and not literally have your neighbor like right on top of you. I've got a a friend who lives more in, in Minneapolis proper. And if she opens her windows, you know, she can hear what's going on in the house next door. And yeah. so for us, it was like, we don't want that. We want to have a bit of privacy. And so I think that's really, really nice for us to have is just that. Yeah. I also think in the city, there's a sense, there's an intensity that's underlying an undercurrent that's always there. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the suburbs, it, it can be just that much slower. And yes. that is sometimes helpful, particularly when our lives were pre-COVID, right? And everybody was running around like a maniac and this and that. There was this sense of kind of like, okay, let me just breathe for a minute. You know what I mean? New York, as wonderful as it is, it has so many things available. It's also a very high pressure place. It can be a very intense place, right? So sometimes, and if you are working and living there, you know, it's probably a lot. And like any city, even the smaller cities, like I love Boston. Boston was kind of like my city I grew up in, but it's still a city. You know, if I were to go and move in there, you know, it would be a smaller living space. There is a certain sort of intensity about it, right? There's emotion about it that's faster, a pace that's faster. So for me, that's how I see the contrast of it as well. Mm, Um, Absolutely. But yeah, the privacy and being spaced out from each other right now, of course, is very, very appealing. What would you say, just to wrap up a little, is uh, would you have either one or a few best pieces of advice that you might give somebody who's upsizing? Because that's the thing. We hear about downsizing a lot, but this is upsizing. And the common thing I hear is, oh my God, I have so many more rooms to fill. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So even though they want the space, it's like, whoa. Right. Yeah. I would say for anyone who is looking to upsize, think about what that means. How much do you want to upsize? So for example, David and I, my husband, and I don't have children. We don't plan on having children. We live in a house that I think now with our remodel is 
I don't know, maybe 2,000 square feet. So, you know, if you're a family of five, that's probably not going to be enough space for you. But I think sometimes we think we want these vast spaces. And of course, I joke that like I had that folder manifest destiny because I was like, I want all this space and I want it to be grand. And I had all these visions in my head. But it's like you say, the more space you have, the more space you have to heat, the more space you have to air condition, the more space you have to furnish. So I think get really realistic on what it really means. Think about your lifestyle. For example, for us, I wish we had one more room that was a dedicated office. But you know, other than that, I mean, for a couple, it's fine. We have enough space. And it's funny, I was speaking to my contractor the other day and you know, he said, it's so interesting. He's like, because I go into homes and I do these huge remodeling jobs for them. And you know, the room that they spend the most time in is their small family room or their small TV snug or something. So it's yeah. like- we, It's the tiniest room in the house. Yes. It's where we feel safest. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's yeah. like either the kitchen or it's like the tiniest room in the house. And I would yeah. actually say that's very true in my circumstance as well. So think about whether you're wanting to upsize because you want to quote unquote keep up with the Joneses or because you feel like some need, like external need, like, well, I have to as a status versus what is my realistic lifestyle? Because if you don't need to have three extra bedrooms, why have three extra bedrooms? It's such a good, good point because one of the things that dawned on me even this week was sometimes I just want to say if this house is sitting half empty, and you're not even using half of it. I think I told you at one time, like, I'd rather have a much smaller house that's completely furnished and done. And I don't mean too small or too small for your family. But yes, some people are buying way more than they'll ever use. And I think that's okay, as long as you're prepared to actually take responsibility of the home ownership of it and furnish it, and at least try to use it. If you're not like, get something, and it doesn't have to be small, but smaller, like you said, for your family, right? You know, and furnish it and use it and it'll support you so much better. So I think that's a super good point, Bethany, for sure. You know, and it's funny because that actually kind of reminds me, I had the loveliest family I was working with and they had just a magnificent home. It was beautiful. It was architecturally done really well. The bones of it were just really nice. It was built well, but it was vast and they were only a family of four. I mean, it really was massive. It was massive to furnish it I think the overhead of it was ginormous in some sense. And, you know, it was definitely more house than they needed. And as beautiful as it was, there was definitely a lot of space that was being unused. And oddly enough, they ended up selling the house because it was just too much. It was just too much work. It was too much. And so you know, buying a home is emotional and I think it's easy to get swept up, but to try to step back and almost count to 10, just to make sure too, that you realize what you're getting into. So, you know, it is important to take that into account as far as the size. And like I said, as beautiful as this house was, I mean, really it was a dream house, but it was huge. And I mean, we're a family of four and I mean, we would have been lost in there. So I understand it. And I understood why, you know, she said it just became too much. So, you know, they can have something equally as pretty that's smaller. So yeah, size, you know, it's definitely something to consider because it's more to fill and it's more overhead. And depending on the size of your family, it needs to be useful. Family and lifestyle. I mean, I had another client one point, they had a big family from out of town. So they had a lot of family members coming in and out a lot. So having the two extra guest bedrooms for them was a good thing, an important thing. And they ended up actually using them a lot. 
but there are some homes where there are two extra guest bedrooms and they're unused. So it really depends on your lifestyle, but certainly taking the square footage into account because it's really just that much more that could potentially burden you as a homeowner. Absolutely. And you have to also think about resale value, right? So of course, it depends on every market and every neighborhood. But if you have an 8,000 square foot house and you're trying to sell that to you know, family of four who's maybe not needing 8,000 square feet, it's much harder to move that house. Yeah. So there's so many it's since 2008. That's what's been happening because right. big homes were really trending for a long time. And then all of a sudden, I think a lot of people were realizing how much overhead it was. And I noticed even in the last five years or so, people wanted, even realtors were telling me like, they used to call them the McMansions around here, you know? And Those were sort of going out of style. So people still, you know, again, depending on the size family, there are some families that have four and five and six kids. Some of my clients have that. And I get that. You need a lot of room. You need maybe two playrooms. You need the extra guest bedroom. And they also had a family that visited all the time. So again, it's just taking into account the needs that you have and whatever those needs are that can be fulfilled. But my point is whatever home you have, don't leave it empty. It leaves you partially empty. Absolutely. That's so well said. Yeah, there's a void there. I wanted to talk about the importance of having your interior surroundings set up to be your haven because we talked so much about when you move the challenges, it's moving is stressful in and of itself. And then we talked about, you know, having that regret or mourning for what was in the city, right? There's a lot of emotional stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Don't you think having rooms set up that comfort you versus not are going to help that process? Or what do you think the role plays in that process? Oh, absolutely. That's such an important point. I mean, we were in a we were in a situation where, like I had said, we didn't set up or after our remodel and the money ran out, right? And we didn't set aside the proper amount um, of money and budget to set up our rooms in a way that do really support our lifestyle. And so I think that if you are thinking really consciously about, okay, this is going to be a mental and emotional challenge at times, it's very worthwhile, but you know, let's face it, it will be one at times. How can I set up my home to support me and to think about like, how do I want to live in my space? How do I want to utilize my space? And what can I do to make my space really feel like it supports me? So for example, if you want to, like if one of the things that you love doing in New York was having a croissant and a coffee every morning and reading the New York Times or reading the, the New Yorker, well, furnish one of your rooms or like buy an Eames lounger and like every Sunday morning, keep that weekend ritual. I love Just that. because you move from the city to the suburbs doesn't mean that your actual home rituals need to change. You just have to think about them a little bit differently and think about how does my interior environment support that? Because if you're still keeping up with the ritual rituals that you do love, then that eases that transition, that emotional transition so much. Yes. And the chord it strikes with me is, and this is sort of the core of my philosophy, but I look at home as like, you're running around for the day, you're at work for the day, whatever. There's a million things we're all doing. People are shuttling their kids to activities. There's a lot of stress. I feel like when you cross that threshold, your home kind of has to be the one to give you that hug at the end of the day. And if you kind of fall through the door, you've got your hands loaded with groceries and bags, whatever. To me, I have to have a feeling of like, ah, I am home. 
And I think if you walk through a door where stuff is empty, the lighting is poor, there's no color, there's nothing on the walls, there's nothing soft to sit in, to fall in, there's not a place to set the shoes and the bag down somewhere where it's out of the way. I mean, a million and one things I could go on about. I don't think you get that hug. I don't think you feel good. And I think that with today's lifestyles, we need that. And even though we are home more now and things are calmer right now, at some point they will go back. And maybe they won't go back with the same intensity. That might be a good thing. I'm not sure. But it's things are still busy. When you're running a household, running a family, working, two of you working, traveling, all those things. So yeah, that's how I see it too. Whereas like, that's why I always say if it's empty, it'll leave a void for you. You Absolutely. Know? I think it's really important that your your home does support you, especially if you're moving from a large city. So some friends of ours lived in Boston for, you know, however many years, I think around 15 years, you know, met in that city, fell in love with that city, had a relationship. And it was like the third partner in their relationship, right? Like the backdrop of Boston, <laughs> right? I love it. And means like every city does for us, wherever you live, um, it meant so much to them. And then they wanted to expand and they moved outside of Boston and had three children. And when we went to visit them, you could tell they were very wistful because we were staying in Boston. They said, oh, you're going to this bar. It was, you know, it's one of our favorite places. We never get there now. And when you look around their home, literally every surface is filled with either baby toys or baby books or something, right? And there was no space for the two of them just to celebrate their relationship, right? So I wanted to say to them, look, you guys need a room or you need like a corner that's just yours so that you can celebrate the fact that when you met and when you fell in love, like you had this lifestyle. So you have to th like, I mean, one thing I would say is just to think about how can you celebrate that previous lifestyle in your own space and not let your new lifestyle, and as much as children are amazing, how can we keep a bit of a boundary of what's the space for the adults and mom and dad that's just theirs and yeah. the space that's for kids? Yeah. And even having stuff that maybe there's a picture, being able to display pictures of just them, not them with the kids, but them when they were in Boston or something they bought at Quincy Market or when they, you know, ate at a certain restaurant. Like sometimes Michael and I take the matchbooks from a certain restaurant and we have some favorite ones like on our living room coffee table. But even things like that can trigger a great memory, you know? And yes, with kids, you can't leave matches around. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that. But, but my point is to have something kind of sentimental that you picked up on a date or whatever, and even a framed photo. Because it's funny, after you have kids, you realize all the pictures are like of the kids or the parents and the kids. But have a picture of just you guys. That's okay too. Yeah. So all those things make a difference in our home because our brain does pick up on our surroundings. So that's really, really important. Yeah. No, thank you for that. I, I love your input on it. I really like your perspective on it. And it was really good to hear your personal experience with it. And I think that it resonates very much with many of the clients that I've helped over the years. And I think for them to be able to recognize all that and feel like it's okay and it's kind of a process is a really good thing. Absolutely. It is. A, it's a process. Sometimes yeah. it's day by day because there are so many different uh, mindset challenges that can be thrown at you, but it's well worth it if you just think about it like a process for sure. Exactly. 
So I want to close the show in. I want to tell listeners where to find you online. So Bethany has a podcast arrived. I'm going to turn it over to her to let her know the best place to direct you to her services, whether it's her website or Instagram. And I want her to just briefly tell you a little bit because she has a new service that's actually a podcast service, which is fantastic that I might have to jump into soon. So I'll turn it over to you, Bethany, just to let the listeners know where to find you and what you do. And then we'll close out the show. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I have to say, firstly, this has just been so much fun. I'm and so glad. If listeners want to learn more about me and what I'm up to, they can always find me at atelierreed.com. And I appreciate that's a, a very strange mouthful to say because it's half French, half German, but that's A-T-E-L-I-E-R-W-R-E-D-E.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at that same handle, just atelierreed. And like you mentioned, I do have a podcast. It's called Arrived, Bring Your A-Game Home. You can find it on all the major podcast platforms. And it's all about helping single men come home feeling like and knowing that they've arrived. I specialize in working with single men who are either coming out of a relationship or a divorce, and they kind of have felt feeling like they've lost their sense of voice. So I help them find their voice in their home and in their relationships. And like you mentioned, Jill, I have a podcast course out now too, which is helping solopreneurs find their voice in their business. So all very exciting. It's it's so fun working with single men and solopreneurs. Well, thank you so much again. And you and I will talk soon. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Jill. This was so much fun. You're so welcome. Well, I really hope you enjoyed this podcast today and this discussion with Bethany. I know I did. And I think it's a great perspective from one person's move from large city to suburb. And I hope you'll also check her out on Instagram and her web. She's uh, got a lot to offer. To celebrate the launch of this show, I am going to be giving away some great prizes to four lucky winners. One winner is going to get a pair of AirPod Pros, and the other three winners are going to get a $100 gift card to either Serena and Lily, Restoration Hardware, or Amazon.com. You get to choose. So three lucky listeners who subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes will receive these. It doesn't have to be a five-star review, although I sure hope you do love this show. I want your feedback so I can create an awesome show that provides tons of value to you. So visit jillcalmaninteriors.com slash podcast launch to learn more about the contest and how to enter. I'll be announcing the winners on the show in an upcoming episode. From my home to yours, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Head over to jillcalmaninteriors.com to learn more about designing a beautiful new home while minimizing the stress of moving. See you back here next week.